Hey there, enjoying SBO Perspectives? Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to SBO Perspectives, the pulse of school business. In the official podcast of ASBO International. Yes, the official podcast. And I am Dr. Jack R. Mitchell, here along with the esteemed... John Bricado. John Bricado, JB. Oh, man, it just, it never, it's never a dull moment um, when we listen to some of these stories wow. across the country. And just think, John, all this time, I'm not saying we were in our silo in New York, but we never knew um, some of the... Uh, issues that they're facing and tackling out in these other states. But um, this is definitely a great, great episode for any listeners. So, John, why don't you get into to our folks? Absolutely. Today's episode is incredibly enlightening. We're uh, heading across the U.S. again uh, to Texas. We're speaking with Dr. Tracy Ginsberg. Tracy's the executive director for the Texas Association of School Business Officials. And we ask her all sorts of questions about what's going well in Texas, what are some of those challenges, and we find out through this episode that a lot of what they're dealing with is similar to the episode we had a couple weeks ago with uh, Brenda Burkett and just weather events, uh, these voucher programs, I mean, you name yeah. it. It's, it's teacher shortages, just, yeah. Yeah, it's tough out there. So we get a really interesting insight into how these business officials in Texas are tackling these issues. So we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Ginsburg. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Tracy Ginsberg. Tracy is the Executive Director of the Texas Association of School Business Officials. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. Tracy, Dr. Ginsberg, uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, as we venture, John and I are, as I say, venturing down south. Um, we recently just spoke with um, Oklahoma, um, Brenda Burkett, you might be familiar with her. Brenda and I were uh, colleagues for many years. Yeah, so yes, making our way uh, across the U.S. <laughs> yeah, and um, of course, again, for Women's Month, so we're glad to have you on. So um, with anybody that we have on here, we just kind of kick off to just have our listeners gain a sense of of who is on. So, um, you know, if you don't mind, maybe please tell us a little about yourself, you know, about your background, maybe your experience, and pretty much your role right now as the uh, executive director for Texas ASBO. All right. Um, I uh, did the math this morning, and it's hard to believe that I've been at this 38 years. It went, wow. 38 years? Yes. Wow. It's been, it's wow. Been it's you been don't look so like that. You look like you, you've been <laughs> I think you hold the record on the podcast now. <laughs> Thank you very much. We can keep talking. Um, <laughs> I, <love it. laughs> I began my career uh, in the El Paso area. I was an auditor for El Paso ISD mm. and on into Socorro ISD, okay. um, where truthfully I implemented one of my most fun projects. We implemented year-round school, which I, that was probably one of the most fun things I did over all these years. Spent the bulk of my career at Round Rock ISD as CF, and I eventually became CFO and fi finalized my career in school as a school business official at Fort Bend ISD, which is in Sugarland, uh, just outside of Houston. Okay. Um, it, it was wonderful, you know, and I've been at this 10 years come September, and I will tell you, I was one of my first conferences as a 
TASBO member was in El Paso and I looked up on stage and my predecessor was up there. I tell the story all the time. Uh, she was the only woman in a sea of man, men. Wow. And uh, I thought, I think I want to be her someday. And she was kind of my mentor throughout my career. And uh, I just feel very blessed that I got to do something that I wanted to do for so very long. Wow, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and that's now, so now, great. Now you are her, pretty much. Now you got to go. <laughs> right. right. Well, know, again. Yeah. Who's looking up to you now? Who's next yeah, in, in, I, in uh, yeah. Pipeline, you know? Yeah, and that's so inspiring to hear. I mean, I think the landscape has really changed in terms of the makeup of school business officials and those that represent school finance. I know at least for us in New York, the majority of school business officials are now women. I think that's been the case for at least the past five to seven years. So it's good to see that those trends are changing. Uh, but as I had mentioned to you before, we're kind of navigating our way through the U.S. and we're happy to have landed in Texas today. And we wanted to kind of explore some of those idiosyncrasies uh, of Texas. Like, you know, are all of your school districts labeled independent school districts? And if so, why is that? And are you looking to explore the option of maybe a four-day week versus five? Like, what, Can you explain some of those things to us for those that maybe are outside of the, the Texas area? Um, sure. All of our schools were, act our school districts, when they uh, came up with the uh, foundation school program and, and the way in which we govern our schools today, they actually laid them out as independent units. And uh, they were laid out, truthfully, uh, along the rivers and uh, mountains and what things to make it easiest to go to school because they've been in existence for many years. Uh, we have some consolidated school districts and that's when several school districts form together. Uh, we are independent, we're, we are an independent taxing unit and so that's one reason we, that's the reason we're titled that. There is one school district, Stafford, uh, municipal school district where the city uh, took some action many years ago and, and it operates like many schools uh, in your part of the world do where the city has more say over the budget process. And so when you say have say over the budget process, who is really kind of steering that ship? Well, you know, as as it should be, uh, the superintendent in collaboration with the board uh, develop the budget. You know, we, mm -hmm. we have, you know, just like you, we have our very own funding formulas and mm -hmm. uh, yes. allocations. And so it's just how, you know, living within our means, if you will. Well, you're not to cut you off, but your funding formula isn't it different. I know one of the good things about the Lone Star State is that you guys, um, the taxes, right? Um, it's really great uh, from the income perspective living there. Um, but the funding formula I, we heard is a little bit different because you don't go by, um, I believe it's um, per pupil. It's a, it's a different, um, I'm, I can't well, really the, several years ago, the legislature adopted a bill for minutes of instruction. And that's where you're hearing the four day work. Yes. Week. Okay. Um, and it was, it was passed with the intent. Uh, we had had a run of bad weather and it was passed with, because it was hard. It was passed with the intent of not being so punitive on makeup days. If, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it's kind of been pushed to the limit, and I will tell you that we're in a legislative session, and last Friday a bill was introduced uh, to disallow that and to return more to daily funding uh, in okay. the ne at next biennium. 
Um, you know, having implemented year-round school, I can tell you all the reasons why a four-day work week is beneficial or a four-day school week if you're doing the remediation on Friday because you'll be able to bring those kids up to speed and have that extra instruction and for both ends, the accelerated and, and the remedial. Um, unfortunately, you know, and it's more expensive. Unfortunately, uh, there's some thought process in some of our districts that maybe this would help with teacher retention. You know, I don't know. Uh, I suspect that the bill for the to require us to return to daily funding will pass. I'll be surprised if it doesn't. Uh, but right now, there's about 40 districts that have adopted that calendar, and out of 1,100, um, yeah, it's a minor. Not very many. And okay. so, when you say Friday is used for remedial services, so it's not that schools are just shuttered on Fridays. There's an opportunity to provide extra supports mm -hmm. for students. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. Interesting. That's a unique model. That's interesting. Yeah. And how, uh, so, I'm sorry, how long has okay. that model been in place? Well, this, uh, you know, I'd have to go back in time, but I would say six years or so ago, they put the minutes in. Um, it's only recently that schools have started trying the four days. Interesting. Okay. And has the, the minute policy been well received by school districts? And I'm assuming they're used to it now because it's been around for six to seven years. It has. You just have to watch your school day. It allows districts now to develop perhaps some more um, staff development time with carve out staff development time during the day uh, and some uh, different items. So, you know, even if you're not on the fourth day, you mm -hmm. may be having uh, your days of instruction may be longer uh, okay. rather or just depending on how the school calendar works and how that staff, as you well know, there's so much staff development that we need. Right, uh, absolutely. And that ongoing teacher collaboration and ongoing staff development is, is very valuable. It's critical, yeah. And and sorry, one last question. I'm so fascinated about how this is set up. So it sounds like many districts are spreading those minutes or hours needed across five days, but you're saying that some are condensing the week into four days. now. What is, do you know what the ratio is on, on these districts? Like are most still a five-day uh, By far, week? most are a five-day. It's just yeah. getting talked about more this budget cycle. Uh, okay. But by and large, you know, we have 1,100 school districts and there are less than 100 on the mm -hmm. four-day. It's almost oh. like a pilot in a way, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a yeah. pilot, definitely. So talking about the state overall, and, um, you know, recently we ran across... Um, Governor Abbott's proposal, um, about maybe $3 billion, which is a sizable amount, uh, for vouchers uh, for private schools. Um, from the perspective, you know, we're all in the public school realm. How's this um, impacted or has it impacted yet on the public schools in Texas? Well, it's just a proposal. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, certainly, we're very wary of it. Uh, the, I think it'd be about an offering of eight thousand uh, dollars for a family to send their child for private education. Um, are there, you know, I'm sorry, are there I any income restrictions to that? I have, you know, I honestly, the bill was just filed, so don't. There are competing priorities. There's all, there's Got it. several bills that have been filed in that regard, mm. um, but you know. 
vouchers are going to make our already volatile school budget process even more so. I mean, uh, we are just recovering from the pandemic where, you know, I don't know about you and your schools, but, you know, we lost kids for a year or more who are just sure. now returning and we're just now getting those good attendance rates up and, and ensuring that people uh, know that uh, their local public school is, is a place that is, is viable and a, and a place that they need to be. Uh, and so it, it really personally distresses me. Uh, I, you know, and preparing a budget and not, not having that added multiplier of not knowing how many students you're going to lose to a private school who doesn't have to communicate to you and knowing there's not a level of accountability there. All those things certainly distress us. Um, you know, and I'm a firm believer in public education, as are you. I think that's what makes our country as great as it is, is that we believe that every child can learn. And we accept them all in our schools. We don't kind of sort them and shift them. And I, I personally think that it's not a very good idea. Right. And it's interesting to hear that as well, because we spoke with Brenda from Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's facing a very similar issue with the voucher program. and. Are these this three billion dollar proposal to vouchers? Is this new in terms of the whole voucher program being new, or is there still some kind of voucher program out there that exists today? No, we don't have a voucher program in Texas. Oh wow! So this, we, is uh, this is the first like a trend. Yeah, the trend is have, trying to come around. Got it. Yeah, and we have a we have an enormous surplus, and sometimes enormous surpluses are just as difficult as deficit to manage yes yeah and you know we have we have money to implement new programs and that's what scares me and, and that's interesting because the next question i have is we saw on social media that texas was named the 40th in per pupil spending so as a leader of the state of the school finance officials what do you think that means for public education in texas and what direction do you think public schools are going? Well, we've, Texas has never been a leader in, we've never been at the top. I mean, we've always been in that bottom quartile. Uh, we've learned to operate very efficiently. Um, uh, I think it's beginning to fray around the edges here because inflation since the last time they increased the basic allotment has increased 14 and percent. Uh, and, you know, that was our main uh, request is that this session that they needed to raise what's called our basic allotment, which is kind of where the rest of the funding formula jumps off of. Um, and to raise it enough, it would be $900, which is about $13 billion, which isn't going to happen. Wow. Um, and so uh, more and more schools are adopting deficit budgets. Uh, we're going to paint ourselves into a corner at some point. Uh, where we're going to have to address uh, school funding. Okay. Um, and we're going That's to have to address how, address how we deliver education uh, and yeah. a variety of things. I mean, I recognize that the pot of money is not endless. Uh, you, as, you and I as taxpayers, you know, there's only so much we can bear. Certainly. But, well, I, I found three billion of that large pot that you could probably use, right? <laughs> so, so we also understand, Tracy, that there are huge teacher shortages, um, and that the teachers overall um, they've been surveyed 
we've seen it there. They feel they're just so grossly underpaid. Um, these are just a couple of issues out there. Um, but I guess, could you maybe elaborate on, I guess, some of the other biggest challenges your state faces right now? Well, certainly teacher retention and teacher, just our, our education programs, the uh, number of uh, high school graduates who are seeking to go into to colleges and universities and enroll in the teaching programs is down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard, uh, not recently, but I would imagine it still holds true, that our alternative certified teachers, who I'm thankful they're here and I'm thankful they're uh, uh, trying their hand at teaching after uh, at following sure. another career, uh, but those uh, those employments and those methods of entering the profession are beginning to outpace college graduates, which scares wow. me because that says we don't value as a society public education. That's interesting. You know what? Because um... When we did speak to Brendan, I didn't really compare notes, but you guys are so close in proximity, you know, one state over. Um, she mentioned something that, like, the amount of pay was higher in Texas. So I kind of thought that maybe it was even more incentivized going into this podcast, thinking, oh, well, great, you know, you guys, um, because this the uh, scenario was she had a teacher 30 years, and at step one out there, they're making the same thing. Is that you find that's the case or no? Or is it still too No, much? Our, our steps move up and they propose to kind of make it move up at a faster rate. Uh, okay. Whatever, what happens is if when they increase the basic allotment, teachers will get an automatic raise because of the way the law works. And then we've got a teacher incentive gotcha. allotment that, you know, we're trying to push more schools into, okay. uh, which will increase their pay as well. But I think we just fail to recognize that the basic cost of living in many of our states, our cities in Texas, Austin being a prime example, Mm -hmm. has outpaced a school's ability to pay a teacher uh, so that she can afford, she or he can afford to live uh, and thrive in Austin. I mean, one of our suburbs here, Pflugerville ISD, just passed a large bond to build teacher housing. It's an wow, $8 really? billion, yeah, it's an $8 billion that's dollar bond. Yeah. We well, I mean, that's creative. Yeah. I, I haven't heard of anything like that before, so hopefully that works out. I mean, but that does speak to the larger issue. You shouldn't have to build housing just for teachers. You would hope that you know, these teachers are getting paid enough to thrive in the communities in which they teach or at least are adjacent to. So that's that's really fascinating. And wh- what's the the timeline on that bond? Like can, when can we get you back on the podcast to talk about <laughs> <laughs> well, that? Uh, that bond is being managed by our immediate past president. And I know she and her superintendent would love to talk about it, but they just passed it. So okay. give them a couple fresh. months to, they're yeah. working through the city okay. with some things, but I'm sure they'd love to talk about it. All right, I'll have to pester you offline to to get those uh, contact information. (laughs) Uh, So just kind of winding down a little bit, uh, we we posed this question to Brenda because you both are very uh, similarly situated in the U.S., but the past several years have had an extreme climate events, and Texas is definitely not immune to that. And one that I personally recall was, I believe it was the the ice storm a couple of years ago. Yeah, ice storm. I can't believe it either. ERCOT was... Yeah, the uh, Electric Reliability Council of Texas. You guys are on your own grid, the way, uh, if I understand that correctly. But ERCOT was really tough to respond and just decimated. And I know a lot of families and communities were without power. So 
when you reflect back on these extreme weather events, how has that affected the school business official and just public school districts in general? Well, I have to tell you a story about Snowmageddon. Uh, that was, you know, kind of as we were winding out of COVID. And it occurred during our annual conference, which we had moved virtual. Wow. And I have to give a big, sh- big hug and a big woohoo to our volunteer instructors. Uh, we had already had a plan with our AV provider uh, to have online courses and have engaged instruction where our enrollment actually went up because people weren't at their desk and they were at home. And so they took courses through TASPO. Now some of them had to reschedule because eventually your phone battery dies out. But right. I mean, I had I had instructors teaching with their, uh, I say we, we TASPO had instructors who taught from their cars, who taught, who taught from their sister's home who had power. And so we actually, um, and it was incredibly stressful on everyone, and I would never want to do it again. Uh, and then in the meantime, while uh, our, our volunteers were leading and, and individuals were trying to participate, you know, our members were out in the schools because we had roofs collapsing and pipes bursting. And, you know, but we're not immune to those natural disasters. You may remember Hurricane Harvey, which hit the bottom third of the state. Uh, up kind of Brenda and I shared Tornado yes. Alley. Yep. Um, I, I, my hat goes off to our practicing school officials. I mean, uh, we kind of celebrated them in our conference, which concluded a few weeks ago. But I mean, we started with Hurricane Harvey and then we had COVID and then we had Snowmageddon. Uh, and then, uh, God forbid, Uvalde, the shooting at Uvalde happened. That's and, right, yeah. And then uh, just recently, we had another major ice event, which ERCOT was able to respond to uh, in a much more okay. positive manner. So, uh, but you know, we're the unsung heroes that keep uh, mm-hmm. those home fires burning, if you will, and keep education going. And uh, I just, I, I, I hope somehow or another we can turn the, turn the, uh, social media around and the pu- court of public opinion around, and they realized that mm-hmm. public service is a gift that was, yeah. you know, left to us by our forefathers. And uh, yeah. the men and women who are in these professions are are doing what we need to do to ensure that this country stays great. Absolutely. Wow. And Very powerful. one question follow up to that with the weather events. When we spoke with Brenda from Oklahoma. She said that in the recent years, there's kind of been this mass exodus of insurance carriers that are willing to insure school districts. Are your business officials in Texas seeing something similar? Yes, and the premiums have just gone up astronomically. And, you know, those are things that aren't taken into consideration by the school funding formula. Mm-hmm. And they should be. Right. They probably will, will have to address them, though, I think, in the future, because they can't continue like this. You know, deficit spending, you know, like you said, as long as... It, amount of time before, you know, you say this is it, you know. Listen, I got to say, Tracy, that those blue skies behind you, they <laughs> I, look I was, so I was great. That. I, I'm saying it looks like a movie set. I got to <laughs> tell you, I'm this whole time, I look distracted, but Honestly, Jack, doesn't so it look great. like a, a virtual background on Zoom? It's it does. So it, looks, it, it looks like it's, <laughs> it's, uh, beautiful. it's so blue, so Chris is Texas. I, love it. I have family there too, so. Uh, oh, you have to come visit and come see us. 
You had to come visit them, yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, as we uh, wind it down again, uh, Tracy, one of the things that we do as with anyone we have on here, we just like, you know, our guests just offer any little semblance or piece of advice to our listeners. So, um, you know, as we impart that, um, what would you like to say? Well, I, um, I also serve on the board of the Texas Society of Association Executives, and we have a, uh, our uh, motto, if you will, is we're better together. And I think that we need to remember uh, as, as both professionals that we are better together and that we will mm-hmm. uh, get through this together. And so um, certainly if you ever need anything, you can call and we'll find someone to help. Uh, but just thank you for what you do, and uh, uh, I'm here with you, and, and I certainly am thankful that I chose this great profession. Great. Well, thank you, Tracy. I mean, and I know thank that'll you. resonate well with everyone listening because Jack and I on the podcast time and again always talk about the value of having one another and what a tight-knit group now even, you know, nationwide that school officials are. So it's good to lean on one another. But at any rate, we really appreciate your time today and and jumping on with us. Yes. All righty. Well, you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning into SBO Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tracy today. Again, another enlightening episode that sheds light on the challenges that school business officials face throughout the United States. Many challenges in Texas, uh, apparently. I mean, it's it's just the wonder how they've been working so long. Um, and she right. said they've been pretty much in the, in the low quartile as far as um, education funding. Um, I mean, she seemed really cool, right? Because uh, she wasn't too worried. Um, no, mean and mean out there in Texas. Yeah, um, but, you know, her leading the charge for TASBO uh, really is um, a strong endeavor. And her story coming up, it was really great to hear. Uh, from her and, and really, you know, how they're tackling these issues. So um, you guys, you definitely um, weren't, aren't disappointed by this. And we hope that you're able to glean as much as you can, like we have um, doing these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you all again for tuning in and your support and subscribing and sharing out all these important stories. And with that, we'll see you next yes. week. See you next week.